Hello and welcome to the Ethical Reading Podcast, where like-minded and hearted people come together to make Reading a better place to live, work and do business. We'll hear from people who have interesting things to say about ethics in action, why ethics matters now more than ever to create a better world, beginning right here in Reading, and from leaders from local ethical businesses and organisations who share their insights on solutions that work for people, profit and the planet. We learn how to generate and sustain a vibrant ethical culture and the part all of us can play in creating positive change at work, home and the wider Reading community. I'm Linda Duff, your host and a volunteer with Ethical Reading. I look forward to our ethical journey together because together we make all the difference. In this series, Meet the Ethical Reading Directors, we find out how each director is world-class in their field of expertise. Although the last thing they do is blow their own trumpets, they're much too busy taking action for positive change. We discover their fascinating diversity and backstory. We learn about the inspiring projects and initiatives they lead and peek into the virtual boardroom to see who does what behind the scenes. Last but not least, they share their visions for Ethical Reading, which are bold, ambitious and definitely achievable when led by a group of collaborative leaders who are fuelled by so much passion. Lucky Reading. It's my great pleasure today to be speaking with Brad Hooker. Brad is a British-American philosopher, now Professor Emeritus at the University of Reading, having been in the philosophy department there since 1993. Prior to that, he was teaching at the Virginia Commonwealth University. He studied philosophy at Princeton University, followed by a doctorate in philosophy at Oxford. Brad has published over 80 essays in journals and books on subjects that include, and there are many others, rules and consequentialist ethics, ethical values in the financial sector, moral theory, well-being and fairness. He has supervised 40 PhD students and is best known as author of the book Ideal Code, Real World which is highly recommended as a must-read for anyone interested in ethics and morality. Brad is past president of the British Philosophical Association and serves on numerous advisory boards, editorial boards and research groups. So a big welcome, Brad. Thank you very much, Linda. Now, I'd like to begin by getting straight into the ethics by asking a two-part question. The first part is, what does ethics mean to you? And the second part is, why does ethics matter? Great. Well, so what ethics means to me is a little bit, well, my answer is a little bit controversial, but uh, here it is. My answer is that ethics is best thought of as composed of requirements, prohibitions, and permissions concerning how we treat the rest of the world and to some extent to how we even think about the rest of the world. Now, why that definition runs into a little bit of controversy is that some people hold that ethics includes requirements about how we treat ourselves. I don't agree with that. I think that, I think of ethics as being about how we treat others, not about how we treat ourselves. 
But I have respect for that view. I don't agree with it. Um, now, let me add that I'm not interested in uh, anthropological, historical, or sociological endeavors to discover or describe beliefs that people have had about requirements, permissions, and prohibitions. I guess I am interested in those things, but I don't think of those things as being my central interest. My central interest is in the enterprise of finding justified ethical beliefs. And in order to find justified ethical beliefs, of course, we have to assess rival ethical beliefs and consider possible alternative ones. Many ethical beliefs people have held have been unjustified, and those are the ones that I'm not so interested in, the unjustified ones. Um, it'd be too easy to come up with examples, but just to throw out a few, uh, one might be a prohibition on criticizing the government. That prohibition would be unjustified. Another would be the requirement to marry within the faith. And another might be the permission, used to be widely endorsed, the permission for a husband to have intercourse with his wife, whether or not she consented. Now, those unjustified prohibitions, requirements, and permissions, they might have been embedded in the law, endorsed by religious leaders, widely held as a matter of conventional assumption, but nevertheless, they were unjustified. And so that's not really my main focus. My, fo my focus, as I said, is on uh, well-justified ethical beliefs. So then you might say, well, what are these well-justified ethical beliefs? I think they fall into broadly three categories. On the one hand, we have a general moral obligation to do good for others. And this is often called the duty of beneficence or the requirement of kindness. It's perhaps the most familiar moral obligation. I admit that there are limits on what we're allowed to do in the order to do good for others. So we're not allowed to rob Peter to pay Paul, um, for example. And uh, we're all, I also think that there are limits on how much we can be required to sacrifice for the sake of others. I can say more about that later if you want. But anyway, moral prohibitions uh, on treating others. I mentioned one, um, which is you're not allowed to rob Peter to pay Paul. But of course, you're also not allowed to kill Peter to somehow benefit Paul um, <laughs> or to threaten Peter to somehow benefit Paul. Um, or to break promises to Peter, or tell lies, et cetera, et cetera. So there are moral prohibitions on how we're allowed to treat others, mostly having to do with harming others. And then I also think there's the third category, and these are special obligations we have to people with whom we have certain special connections. And so uh, um, this pertains particularly to how we allocate our own time, energy, and other resources. Where we're deciding how to allocate our own time, energy, and other resources we have a duty of loyalty to give some degree, but not an infinite degree, of priority to the welfare of our family and friends. Some degree, but not an infinite degree. There's also a special obligation to others who have contributed to social practices from which we've benefited willingly. And here the special obligation is one of fairness to contribute to the social practice as others have done. And then there's special obligations of gratitude to our benefactors and obligations of apology and compensation to those whom we have wrongly harmed. Now, the duty of loyalty to people inside our circle of special obligation does not license harming people outside this circle who are doing what they're morally allowed to do. I want to stress that. The, the, mm. <laughs> the special obligations yes. are not stronger than the prohibitions I mentioned earlier. 
Now, I suggested that earlier that the ethical requirements, prohibitions, and permissions pertain to how we think and not just to how we act. What I mean by that is that the obligations and prohibitions I mentioned go together with a mindset that is not egoistic. Our thinking needs to reflect the importance of others in general and the importance of particular social ties. And our thinking must recognize that what others have done for us and the ways in which social cooperation can bring gains that are impossible without social cooperation. Now, you also asked me why ethics matters. So I better answer that and I can do so much more briefly. Law and, and social regulation can do much to facilitate productive human interaction and preservation of the environment. But law and, so, and social regulation need to be evaluated ethically and then buttressed by ethical concern. Now, ethical Redding's foundational idea is that enhanced attention to ethics in our community can make Redding a nicer place to live and work. I emphatically believe that, that about Redding, and I'd say that I think other cities might have a similar point made about them. Well, thanks for that, Brad. That, that I really liked your first point where you pointed to a lot of perhaps more academic discussions about ethics and aspects of ethics and some of the ethical conundrums that come up in life that we don't very often think about. We just carry on as normal. And also you put ethical reading social um, face central to your own understanding about it being about the community rather than just the self. So that that was uh, brought out really clearly to me, and thank you for that. Thanks for taking the time to to explain that. And I want to find out now what brought you to Ethical Reading. Well, in February of 2018, so kind of a little bit more than two years ago, um, a colleague of mine in the philosophy department at the university, Professor Emma Borg, she went to London to meet with leaders of something called the Institute for Business Ethics. And she reported to the people at the Institute on research that she and I were doing on improving ethical behavior, especially in financial services. And, and that's something that you mentioned in your introduction. In that meeting, Emma was advised that the first thing we should do is meet with the founders of Ethical Reading, who had already impressed the people who were directing the Institute for Business Ethics. So they, they sent Emma back to Reading with this uh, firm endorsement of Ethical Reading. And so that she and I met with Ethical Reading just as soon as possible. And we were just as impressed with the founders as the Institute for Business Ethics had been. And so we signed up kind of on the spot <laughs> and started uh, figuring out ways we could collaborate and, and contribute more with to Ethical Reading, with and to Ethical Reading. So you were, you've been involved pretty much from the start of Ethical Reading, which is, uh, I know you played a valuable role and, and uh, that's really what I'd like to ask you next. You know, what is your role in Ethical Reading? Well, as soon as Emma and I found out about it, as I said, we, we signed up and we became officially volunteers. And I think pretty quickly after that, we were appointed to the advisory council for Ethical Reading. Um, and I immediately signed up to do a Tuesday evening meetup presentation. I mean, I think I, I think I went to one and watched how it was done and then immediately did the next one. Contributed blog posts. And then later, Emma and I co-authored 
Ethical Reading's template code of ethics. Now, there were a lot of other people involved in, in writing it, but I, 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 um, I guess I think of, of Emma and I as being the main authors, at least of the, of the initial draft. That was a big enterprise. And then we enlisted others from the philosophy department at Reading to give further meetup presentations and to participate in webinar or to give webinars and the like. And I have to say that Emma's really been, I mean, she and I have been equally involved, I would say, except that in January of this year, um, the other directors asked me to join them as one of the five directors. And um, each of the directors actually donate about two or two and a half days a week um, to Ethical Reading. So a lot of time. And, and I've, so I've done that as well. And um, it's been very rewarding for me because the other directors are really smart and experienced and wise. And so I've learned a tremendous amount from being involved in them. Yes, I, I know they're absolutely delighted to have you on board as well to add some academic rigor to, what, to what's happening uh, in ethical reading. And there's a lot going on. And as you say, I know that the, uh, the Code of Ethics template is is a cornerstone of of what ethical reading offers going forward and uh, i'm sure you join me in uh, inviting businesses to look it up and uh, download it and see how they can I, I do. work it with their organization yeah I, yeah I, I certainly do yeah very valuable document and what's your vision for ethical reading i have to say i was kept and i've, I've already indicated this a little bit i, I was captivated by the idea behind the organization as soon as Gerbert Jill and in those days Jim explained it to me. Um, if Reading as a community improves its ethical behavior, the whole community, I'm sure, will benefit significantly. And if the community develops a reputation for being especially committed to the concern for others, to honesty, to fairness, and to environmental sustainability, then good people will be attracted to come work in Reading which will directly benefit employers here and indirectly benefit everybody here. Mm. So if ethical reading achieves its aspirations, then perhaps other cities and regions would like to try to do something similar there, something similar to what we've done here. We in ethical reading are are very keen to, to, to share whatever we've learned with other cities who might want to follow suit. And indeed one of our programs, which Jill is, leading um, is called Ethical Cities. And we are in active discussion with a couple of cities now about whether perhaps there are things that we can learn from them, but also things that they can learn from us. It's a very exciting development, and I look forward to, to how that goes. That's fantastic. And Brad, is there anything else you'd like to say about Ethical Reading that hasn't been talked about so far? Well, I just want to um, I, I guess the thing that hits me in the face every time I think about ethical reading is that the people who founded the organization really had, I think, immense insight, immense goodwill, and immense organizational talent. And I've been just tremendously impressed with them and glad to be involved with them. And I think that they, the founders, attracted to the organization very many extremely able and altruistic volunteers. And I've learned a tremendous amount from the directors and from the volunteers, and my opinion of humanity has gone up as a result of of observing them. That's a nice note to to end on. Uh, And I guess that takes you back to the earlier question of 
your vision for ethical reading, how there's kind of this virtuous circle, isn't there? Once people know where there are others who have a similar mindset and heart set, people gather there and there's kind of like this virtuous circle that takes place. And I think that might be what you're alluding to. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, I do think there's a tremendous potential for improvement and and not just improvement, but a sort of shared sense of purpose in a very, very worthwhile enterprise. Oh, that's marvellous. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Brad. I've really enjoyed it. Well, Linda, I thank you, and I, and I promise you that I've enjoyed it even more than you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks very much, Brad. A very useful insight for me was Brad's definition of ethics as composed of well-justified requirements, prohibitions and permissions concerning how we treat the rest of the world with the examples he gave, which was great. And also what he saw as the need for the law and social regulation to be evaluated from an ethical standpoint. And that Brad sees tremendous potential for shared purpose as Reading gains a reputation for its ethical organisations. It will attract more like-minded people to the benefit of organisations and the community as a whole. If you like what you've heard, do join us. The website is ethicalreading.org.uk. Membership is free. Come to a virtual meetup or webinar. Get involved as a volunteer. Become a partner organisation. Or just help us by spreading the word to your networks. Together, we can make Reading a better place to live, work and do business. Music